It's From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, it's Friday. Thanks for tuning in. It's always great to have you join me here on Washington Watch. Today, we're actually broadcasting from Grace Woodlands Church uh, just outside of Houston, Texas, where Pastor Steve Riggle hosted FRC's Watchman on the Wall Pastors Briefing. Today, Pastor Riggle will join me actually a little bit later along with uh, George Barna as we discuss how to equip Christians to live in an increasingly secular culture with a biblical worldview. But first, last night, President Biden spoke to the nation about the recent shootings. The president attempted to build support for the Democrats' gun control measures. After Sandy Hook, after Charleston, after Orlando, after Las Vegas, after Parkland, nothing has been done. This time, that can't be true. This time, we must actually do something. The issue we face is one of conscience and common sense. Something does need to be done. But as I've said before, if we want to do something that is truly effective, we need to look beyond what is in the hand of these angry young men and look to what is in their heart that is prompting them to commit such heinous acts. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, the ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee, raised this yesterday in the emergency committee hearing. The bill that Democrats are putting forward today does not help us to understand what's really driving some young men to commit these heinous acts. The bill before us is short-sighted and not solutions-oriented. It's a one-size-fits-all approach that punishes law-abiding citizens while doing nothing to make our community safer. Franklin Graham, president and CEO of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, joins me in just a moment for what I believe is an important conversation that we all need to be a part of. Earlier this week, I mentioned a nationwide survey conducted by FRC Action. The top concern for all Americans, including Democrats who elected the current administration, is the economy. No amount of spin or sugarcoating can distract families from the reality that they're facing every time they fill up their car or they go to a grocery store. My good friend, Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, actually joins us here in our mobile studio at uh, Grace Woodlands Church a little bit later. And Dr. Andrew Brunson, now a member of the FRC team, just returned from a meeting of pro-family organizations in Budapest. He joins me with a report on what is happening globally when it comes to religious freedom and the family. He'll also be discussing the warning that he had for pastors here at the Watchman Briefing today in Houston. The word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, comes from 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. And it reads as follows. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart and all Israel was troubled. You see, Saul's son was put on the throne by Abner, not by God. And that happened after Saul's death. You see, when your confidence in your call rests upon men rather than God, courage is easily lost, as is your position. But we should put our trust in God. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you uh, miss anything, you can catch it all later. It's all archived. By the way, congratulations to our winners of the Stand Mug giveaways this week. Gary in Summerall, Mississippi. Michael from uh, Maryville, Louisiana. Carrie from from Council Bluff, Iowa. And uh, Linda from Missouri. And Kathy from Lubbock, Texas. Uh, As I mentioned previously, when uh, 
I speak at different churches and other places. People ask, what is a good source of news that I can trust? Well, that is why we, this year, or this week, after a year of preparation, we launched the Washington Stand, uh, online news and commentary from a biblical perspective. And I encourage you to make it one of your news sources. Now, as we increase and readers will expand the coverage, so please share Washington Stand with your family, friends, your church, uh, everyone you come in contact with is a great source of news and commentary from a biblical perspective. Simply go to WashingtonStand.com to sign up. All right. In his address to the nation last night, President Biden issued a fervent appeal for stricter gun laws, saying that that's what the overwhelming majority of American people believe we must do. We face an issue of common sense, he said, and we have to do something. Respectfully, I agree with the president. We need to do something. But we need to do the right something. We must go beyond the symptoms to the source of this growing violence that is a self-induced plague on our nation. With me now to talk about this is Franklin Graham, president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Under his leadership, uh, they deployed to Uvalde, Texas. The Billy Graham Rapid Response Team made up uh, of crisis-trained chaplains to help the families and the communities here in Texas. Franklin, welcome back to the program. Always good to see you. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. Uh, before I get into th- this subject, I know you just returned from uh, being in uh, in England over in Europe um, on a crusade. And you've, I- I've been reading of that crusade fantastic response to the gospel message. We did, Tony. There's a, a great hunger uh, for the gospel in the U.K., and I think it's a ripe for evangelism. We had great meetings, well attended, and at the invitation, just hundreds of people came forward to confess their sins and to invite Jesus Christ to come into the heart and life. So um, we're, I'm going to go back uh, to the U.K. In, in July. We're going to London and we're looking about uh, about going back to London for the next three years. That's exciting. Um, I, I'm hoping that we'll see that same hunger burst forth here in the United mm-hmm. States because I think we are at a pivotal moment. As I no mentioned question. a moment ago, I think the president is right. We need to do something. Right. But I'm not sure that they're focused on the right something. Your thoughts? Well, uh, first of all, Tony, where, where do they get these images? Where do they get these ideas? Uh, it, it's coming from television, from our entertainment industry, from the movies. Uh, almost every film either has uh, some type of uh, violence with, with guns uh, or, or sex acts, and this is what we're feeding on. And it's kind of like going back to Rome uh, in the times of the early church where the, the Romans were fixated on violence, and they went to the Colosseum to watch Christians and others torn up to pieces by lions. We are feeding our, our young people this, this whole I would just say it's like a smorgasbord of violence, and uh, that has a huge impact. And I I believe we ought to put a a hefty tax on every film, every TV program, every uh, uh, video game that depicts violence with guns uh, or knives or anything else. Uh, I think we ought to just put a big tax on it and and make the TV and entertainment industry pay uh, in a big way for the damage that they're doing to our society. And then... Of course, the, the huge problem is we've taken God out of our schools. 
Uh, yes. We took him out. We took God out of the prayer out of schools. Uh, you mentioned God or anything else in schools. Uh, the teachers will mock you, and and, and uh, in some places they even discipline students uh, for 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 bringing their their what they call their religion into the classroom. And this we've just turned our back on God. We've allowed our school boards to do this, and uh, and I would encourage Christians to run for school boards. We need Christian men and women. When I say Christian, I'm talking about evangelical, God-fearing men and women who believe the Bible, trust the Bible, uh, to get on the school board. So when they have a pornographic book that they want their children to read, uh, those Christian school board members would just take a stand and say, nope, we're not going to approve that. Next, what's, what's the next issue? We need, we need people with thick skins, tough to be on the school boards, and let's get our schools back in America, uh, and let's put God back into our schools. I mean, you're absolutely right, frankly. When we look at, uh, I was looking at one of the most recent studies going back just a few years, analyzing all these gun, uh, these shootings in schools, 82% of those were children who came from dysfunctional or broken homes. You know, we've, yeah. we've kicked God out of school, out of society. We've marginalized religion. And then we get this result and we say, well, how did this happen? We know exactly no. how it happened. Well, and, and gun laws aren't going to change a thing, uh, Tony. It's just like you say, it's going to just uh, penalize law-abiding citizens. If gun laws worked, then uh, places like uh, New York City and, and Chicago would be the safest places to live, especially Chicago. But it's one of the most dangerous cities uh, in the world. And so I think we need to uh, take a real serious look at what the problem is and how to solve it and not just keep going after guns. The left wants to disarm America. You know that, Tony, and I know. And this is, and if they have one gun law, then next time there's a shooting, they want another gun law, another gun law, to where uh, guns will be confiscated uh, like they're trying to do in Canada right now. So right. I, would, uh, I would hope and pray that uh, we would look at uh, putting God back into schools and then taxing the entertainment industry in a huge way. Put a big tax on them. See, I think this is a moment that America is ready to make a change. They're, they're, they're grasping for answers. I think it's incumbent upon Christians, as you said, whether in the school board, whether in Congress, state legislatures, or in the pulpit, to be bold and go beyond the narrative that's been created by the political class, you know, arguing arguing over it, whether it's hardening a school or gun control, and talk about the real issue. It is time for us to say with definitive courageous conviction that it is time that we invite God back into America again and in our schools and make no apologies for it. Well, uh, for that to happen, we're going to have to have a president in the White House that believes in God, and we're going to have to have um, men and women in, the, in, in Congress who uh, believe in God. And I would encourage, again, not just Christians run for school board, but Christians to run at every level of government. We need to get Christians, God-fearing men and women, back in government. And uh, I think people are afraid to, to run or they just are too busy. But if we don't, uh, we're going to lose this country, Tony. I think we may have already lost it. But we got a, we got a chance. We got a, an opportunity maybe to get, get, to get back in the, I'd say get back in the game. So, if, but if we don't have Christians running, it's not going to work. Well, the president last night said we have to do something to protect our children and protect our communities. Well, that's something is just what you said. We've got to be we've got to be proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms the hearts and minds of people. And then we have to walk it out 
in the public square, whether that's in the politics, whether it's in education, whether it's in entertainment, we can no longer sit back and be quiet as Christians. Uh, Tony, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's shocking to see what happened in Uvalde and, and this other shootings we have seen. Um, and it's, there's evil in the world, and you're, there's no question. And, and to, to confront evil, only, only God can change hearts. And for, for us to be able to preach the gospel, I would encourage pastors uh, all across this country this coming Sunday, give a gospel message. And the yes. gospel is that, that God uh, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life, that God sent his son to take our sins, that he died and shed his blood on the cross for our sins. He was buried for our sins. On the third day, God raised him to life. That's the gospel. Make a message and put the gospel in it. And you say, well, what's that going to do? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Every gospel message the holy spirit will take the gospel and pierce people's hearts you say franklin how does it work i have no clue how it works all i know is that god uses it and it does work and if every pastor this sunday gave a gospel message and just gave an invitation a lot of pastors don't don't want to give an invitation because they're afraid they'll be standing at the pulpit and nobody will come well nobody will come if you don't give the gospel nobody will come but if you give the gospel the holy spirit will start uh, touching people's hearts and and pastors will see people coming forward uh, with tears yeah. streaming down their face confessing their sins yeah. and that's what we need we need a revival to break out in this country and only yeah. the holy spirit of god can bring this you are absolutely right franklin graham always great to talk with you thank you so much for what billy graham associate uh, evangelistic association does with the chaplains it's i've seen it in firsthand great to see you brother thank you tony Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more on the other side of the break. Congressman Kevin Brady joins me. Don't go away. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. 
Access these free resources at frc.org worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org worldview email. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday as we're broadcasting from uh, Houston, Texas. In fact, we are broadcasting from the 8th Congressional District of Texas. Uh, We're at uh, Grace uh, Woodlands Church uh, just outside of Houston. And uh, we had our pastor's conference here today that was hosted by Steve Riggle. He's going to be joining me a little bit later with George Barna. But as we were talking about, the issue of guns and violence are on the minds of uh, many in America following the recent mass shootings. I mean, one last night uh, at a church. I mean, it's, it's it was in Iowa, you know, where a man shot and killed two people before killing himself. You know, details are still coming uh, to light. But it's clear that we need to understand this was part of our conversation at this pastor's conference. Be, be looking at this not just from a standpoint of what's happening in the physical, but what's happening in the spiritual. And I think that's a part of the problem here, as we are just talking about with Franklin. We've got to go beyond the political talking points to really addressing the issue. And that's why I'm, uh, I'm honored to have my next guest here joining me in studio who represents this district in Congress, uh, Congressman Kevin Brady. He is the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, a stalwart for faith, family, and freedom, and uh, the roommate of one of my good friends, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, who, uh, who I served with in the Louisiana legislature. Tony, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here and, and taking time to talk to our pastors as well. Um, I, I want to, obviously, what's, you're in Texas. I mean, we're in Texas. You represent Texas minds of the nation focused on uh, Texas. And I, I will tell you, as a former police officer and one who's seen many of these things, I was shaken by what happened in Uvalde, Texas. Yeah, there's no question. I know that so many mass shootings occur around America who get no attention, many of them in our our major cities where we've seen crime rampant. But when you see these occur, you can't help but be heartbroken and want to do something to, to change that from happening in the future. But the challenge, as you said, is I think uh, the old debate isn't working. I think we need to acknowledge there are real socioeconomic cultural issues here. And it seems to me, you know, not every shooter, but certainly there are so many that fit this pattern that feels like their family is broken, their life feels broken, they're isolated, they're angry, uh, they're hateful. And I just think unless we address that as a country, and I think faith 
you know, an access to faith can play such a big role in this. But unless we get beyond, as you said, those old political debates, we're really not going to not going to see the change we want. Yeah. I mean, because we know gun control doesn't work. It doesn't. I mean, Washington, D.C. has some of the strictest gun control laws in the nation. We had a shooting in our building. One of our people were shot. Yeah, I think uh, of the eight deadliest cities in America, seven of them are in model gun control states. Yeah. You know, now, what they stopping. say, they say, well, we need gun controls in the neighboring states because those guns are coming from other states. Yeah, it's uh, the truth of the matter is in most of those cities, this is criminal gangs, yeah. you know what I mean, and drug gangs. Uh, Look, I can tell you from law enforcement, a criminal is a criminal because he doesn't obey laws. And if we pass these laws, criminals are not going to obey these no, laws. Not. It's going to be the law-abiding citizens who are impacted because they're the ones that are going to obey the law, and they're going to disarm, and they're going to be yep. tar- targets. Yep. No question. And a good example, in Texas, you know, at 18, you can buy rifles uh, and, and have four, mm-hmm. 60, 70 years uh, with no big security issues until recently. Yeah. What's changed yeah. is the culture has yes. changed, not the access right. to it. So let me ask you this question. I think I think we're at a point where America, we're, we're grasping with what, what's behind this. And I think people that are kind of spiritually clueless are even asking that question. And so they're grasping for answers. I think it's time for bold leadership. And I was just talking about this with Franklin Graham. We've got, we need leaders who will go out there and say, you know what? I know this is a problem, but it's a problem of the heart, not what's in the hand. Uh, no question about it. And I think um, I've come to the conclusion that isolation kills. Yeah. We saw but during we know COVID. That. We know that. Yeah, we know studies. that for a fact. But I think yeah. it plays a role yes. in these in these shooters. They, they are isolated. And somehow we have to find a way to break through. And there is a role. We know from prison ministries. Uh, we know from uh, PTSD, veterans ministries, faith works. Yes. You know, you're feeling yes. that hole in your heart. But we've there mar- is that we've allowed faith to be marginalized. I mean, we've gone from when you and I were in school where you could have prayer and even the Bible would, there was a few holdovers, older teachers that would still have the Bible in there before they retired. But now students are punished. Even the, the mere thinking of prayer in school, you know, seems to generate a lawsuit yes. from someone. And, and we have a local pastor or a local justice of the peace, uh, Judge Wayne Mack, who has prayer, you know, before his courtroom. It's, right. it's volunteer. He's been attacked yes. for That's years right. for just that religious freedom. And, yeah, it, it is very frustrating. And, and I think as a result, even more recently, we've seen these attacks on pro-life you know, organizations on churches yeah. here in Houston, right. uh, yeah. Holy Rosary Church, as a matter of fact, intimidation, Supreme Court justices, even the mere participation in faith seems to draw these violent attacks. And, and I wish the president would speak out on that from time to time as well. You know, I go back to this often because I th- it's been it was studied for years, and that was George Washington's farewell address to the nation where he, he talks about these two pillars that lead to our peace and prosperity, religion and morality. And he said, don't think you can have morality without religion. Uh, There is no way. And and those of us who are blessed to be in in a faith relationship know the difference it can make in our lives. Because everyone goes through tough times. People can get angry, can get um, hateful. But that relationship you have with your colleagues in faith makes all the difference in the world. I'm not going to get to the economy because we're about out of time. I wanted to talk to you about the economy, but I just want to ask you this quick question. Are we at a point, 
among the Republican leadership that we may see some bold pushback to the left. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that the House Republicans are absolutely unified on this, that there may be differences in other areas, but absolutely uh, is. And you're going to see, I think, just as we did when we're in the majority, when we thanks to your efforts, you know, started fighting for religious freedom, making sure the government wasn't coming down on pastors who were, you know, teaching their faith and reaching out in their community. You're going to see more of that in a big way, I think, under our Republican House. Well, Congressman Kevin Brady, I want to say uh, thank you for uh, not only joining us here today, making the uh, effort to come out and join us here on uh, on site. But I want to thank you for your leadership in Congress. You've been a great friend and a, a great voice for the uh, for the unborn, for the sanctity of human life. And it's uh, it's been a great privilege to work with you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir. And th- and welcome to Texas. It's we love having you. You know it well, but we love having you. I, I'd much rather be here than D.C., I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, uh, Dr. Andrew Brunson is going to join me. He just came back from Budapest uh, representing us over there at a meeting of pro-family groups. He's going to give us a read on what's happening globally and then he's going to talk about his message that he had to pastors here today that and more still coming up don't go away most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views as christians we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love when we advocate for the unborn we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students, do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org internships. That's frc.org internships. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Persecution of our Christian faith is something that, uh, until just recently, was kind of a foreign concept to most Christians in America. I have to say that's changing, both uh, through education of our role to advocate for believers around the globe, but unfortunately, it's also by experience right here in the United States. 
Now, a part of FRC's team for religious freedom, we uh, we have we have Bob Fu on our team, and we have uh, Andrew Brunson. Both have experienced firsthand persecution. Bob growing up in China, and Andrew is a missionary in Turkey. Now, Andrew just returned from the Transatlantic Summit in Budapest, where organizations from around the world gathered to discuss matters of faith, family, and freedom. And he joins me here to uh, to talk about that, as well as his message to pastors here in Houston today. Andrew, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Good to be with you. Always good to see you, my friend. So you were in Budapest. I'm glad you do this international travel because I don't like to. So uh, tell us about uh, Budapest. Yeah, so people came together from around 30 countries or so. A number of them are involved in parliaments or in government in their own countries, and they're gathering to talk about values, and I would say biblical values, especially uh, Judeo-Christian values, and how they can promote that in their societies and in their governments. What really interested me is that there were a number of people from Latin America. Uh, Spanish was uh, the most commonly spoken language there, I think, and also a delegation from Africa. And I think this is significant because especially as we see uh, Christian values coming under pressure in the West, then I think the global south, where the church is growing very quickly, is going to be much more important. And they need to take more responsibility for defending and promoting Christian values. So I was very encouraged to see that. You know, that's interesting because we're seeing this in some of these uh, denominational debates that are taking place over the authority of Scripture. Uh, Yes, and over uh, some of the uh, social issues, you could say, LGBT issues, for example, with some of the more conservative churches now uh, in the global south and the churches in the west trying to drag them into more progressive. And and Africa as well. You know, one of the things I've long thought is that like in Africa and I've been to parts of Africa and and where they they have to survival is a real issue for them. I mean, just surviving. And so they have to work, they have to, 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 to have food and to have clothing. You know, we're so prosperous in the West that we have too much time on our hands, I think, that allows us to go into these other things. And we, we're no longer dependent or concerned about God providing for us. We are, uh, we're quote unquote, self-made people. You know, uh, I don't understand all the reasons for why the West is going the way it is, but I think you've underlined one of them. And what I see in in the, the church in the global south, yes, they're under pressure many times, as you say, just trying to survive. Uh, but they're, the church is, is strengthening, yeah. and uh, it has vitality. And that's where a lot of the life in the church is now. Now, you had a message there in Budapest, which is similar to the message uh, that uh, you had for pastors here in Houston. It's a message that you've been carrying that you and I talked about over a year ago, and it's really why you are on the FRC team. That is what you see on the horizon. So... Uh, what I say to pastors is uh, they've been appointed as under-shepherds of the great shepherd Jesus. And they're supposed to take care of the sheep, love them, protect them, uh, nurture them, and the sheep are in danger now. So I think there is uh, the, the danger of being knocked out because of the pressures that are rising, the hostility that is going to rise, uh, I think especially in the United States right now, toward people who are faithful followers of Jesus. And this is something that... Uh, for various reasons, uh, some people are aware of it. A lot of people aren't. And I think one of the reasons that uh, there is maybe a denial that this, uh, I think of it as a great wave, dark wave that is about to crash on the church. Mm-hmm. But 
I think, of a, a false sense of confidence in a way. Maybe as people look at the midterm elections coming up and they see that uh, conservatives um, may make some real gains, they think that will take care of everything. But the reality is that uh, the political is a very important part, and we need to elect leaders who who will be uh, courageous in, in defending and carving out area for religious freedom. But our culture, uh, all of the commanding heights of our culture have turned so hostile toward faithful followers of Jesus. I think this is going to increase. So even some political wins now will not take care of the problem. You're absolutely right. In fact, before we run out of time, you have a new resource that uh, has been made available, Prepare to Stand, which is equipping believers, pastors, churches, individuals to be prepared to stand for biblical truth, something you had to learn firsthand. Tell, tell our viewers and listeners about it. So one of the things God was doing through my imprisonment, I believe, because I broke, I, I uh, had a very... As, as a prisoner in Turkey for being a missionary there preaching the gospel, yes. just for someone who may have just caught you for the first yes. time on radio. I just want to clarify that. So, so I was surprised uh, that uh, at the intensity of the persecution, how... I didn't handle it the way I had hoped to. Right. And it, it was very difficult for me. Uh, and in that breaking, I had to learn in my weakness to strengthen myself to stand under pressure. And so uh, out of that, I think one of the things that God was doing through that, allowing me to break and then rebuilding me, is that I would learn how to do this because some of these things are transferable, some yeah. mentalities, perspectives, and disciplines. And so uh, there's a video series now. It's on uh, FRC, actually, called Prepare to Stand. Uh, and it talks about some of the dangers and some of the ways that we can prepare ourselves so that we do stand in persecution. Well, we need to get you back on to talk specifically about that uh, series because it's a powerful series, Prepare to Stand, frc.org slash prepare to stand. You can also go to uh, tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. Andrew Brunson, always great to see you. Thanks so much for being with us today. Folks, don't go away. On the other side of the break, I'll be joined by Pastor Steve Riggle, who hosted us here today, and George Barna. We're going to be talking about biblical worldview and surviving in this secular culture. Don't go away. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. 
men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday afternoon. As I mentioned, we're broadcasting remotely from uh, Grace Woodlands Church just outside of uh, Houston, Texas, where today we had one of our regional watchmen on the wall pastors conferences. You know, our country, as we've been talking about all this entire program, our country is facing a crisis that demands a spiritual response. In fact, that was one of the messages today several of the messages about this is a spiritual issue facing our country. But we've also discussed in this program recent uh, research that indicates only 37% of pastors possess a biblical worldview. Now, how, how can we respond to the needs of our day if we're not prepared with a biblical worldview? How can pastors provide solutions if they don't have a biblical worldview? So the question then becomes, all right, we know the problem. How do we change that? How do we help others who do not have the biblical worldview to obtain that and then to live it out in their daily lives? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is uh, George Barna, Senior Research Fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council, and Pastor Steve Riggle, Senior Pastor of Grace Woodlands Church, who hosted us today. Steve? George, welcome. Good to be with you. Nice to be here. Well, I want to let's start with uh, your message, which you followed uh, Pastor Steve today. Um, I have to say he started this off with a pastor preaching with a biblical worldview because he said, we, we have a spiritual issue. We've got to approach it. How acute is this problem in America of pastors that are, if they're not, I mean, what are they doing if they're not operating from a biblical worldview? Uh, you know, as we look at how we define success, it's about numbers, numbers of people, numbers of dollars, numbers of programs, etc. And so if you measure the wrong things, you're going to continually produce the wrong things. Now, how many churches are actually measuring the spiritual fruit coming out of people's lives? Mm -hmm. How many people are measuring or how many churches are measuring 
the transformation that's taking place in how a person lives. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be looking at, the types of relationships that they're building with others for the purpose of advancing the gospel, the amount of time that they're investing in trying to have God's truths be part of the culture. I mean, that's a little hard because actually they're measuring inputs and not outputs. I mean, they're measuring, you know, the how many people are in the pews, but they're not measuring what those people in their pews are doing to change the community. And the reason they're not doing that, I think, after years of asking that question is, why don't you measure the other stuff? Is because it's hard because it's all about relationship. Yeah. And so if the idea is just to get as many people as we can coming at the same time to a single event, we can manage that. We can coordinate all of that. But if now we break it down and we say, but I have to know these people individually, I have to have leaders I trust who know them and are doing the stuff in their lives, and because of the relationship, they can track what's going on, that's a very different right. approach. Well, Pastor Steve, I wanted you to be a part of this conversation uh, with George, because you and I met uh, a number of years ago at Houston Five, right. when the mayor, former mayor here, subpoenaed you, along with four other pastors, your sermons, um, and we came down to a big event at your church, and um, from that point, we've worked together on quite a few things. You have a biblical worldview. You preach from a biblical worldview. Yeah. Now, why do so many pastors not? And this is not an issue of generational gaps, because there are pastors, you know, that are, are young that preach from a biblical worldview, and there are old pastors who don't. So it's not an age issue. It's something else. What is it? Well, I, I think some of it is that there, there comes a, uh, as George said, there's a certain um, standard for success in ministry. And unfortunately, um, uh, with that in the ministry, there is, uh, there, there, I, I think slowly, you know, it's just like, um, how petrified wood is made where there comes that seepage and what was real is replaced is instead of a calling ministry has become largely a vocation. So if you're interviewing, if a pastor is being interviewed, the pastor wants to know other benefits, how many, how many weeks off, you know, all these other things. And he, and he's accountable to a group of people who weren't called. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting no, a fix I, here, but he's accountable to a group of people who weren't called. All of those things water down yeah. what a pastor yeah. is going to do in terms of standing. But there's something else. You mentioned this this morning when you spoke uh, as you opened us up. I, I have, and I see it, and I think it's the greatest thing. I, I have the greatest threat we face, and I hear this all the time. People like, what's, what's the greatest thing facing America? They think, you know, China, Russia. It's a lack of courage. It is a crisis of courage that I believe is the greatest threat to America, whether it's in the political class, whether it's in parents who are afraid to teach their children, or it's pastors afraid to preach the word of God. Right. But on top of that, I would say part of courage is that's one of the traits that a leader has. Because if you're a leader, you're trying to move people to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. That's what makes you lead them. But when we look at our pastors, I know from our research, most of them voluntarily tell us when we ask them, they don't believe that God has called them and gifted them as a leader. They believe they were called and gifted to teach or to preach or to well, counsel. Then should, well, then they should be a Sunday school teacher or something. Uh, amen. 
but that's not the model that we have in place. But you also, I'm deviating a little bit here, I chase rabbits occasionally, but I think that's part of the problem we have with the moral implosion in the ministry is that you have people that are, are not in their calling and they're not focused and they easily get off track. Yeah, it's uh, it's a sad day. You know, I uh, I served on the board of uh, of the King's University that Jack Hayford founded from the from the very beginning, first meeting in Jack's living room, and then uh, in an interim period, I uh, served as the president to make the transition to where it is today. And uh, even there, I just I didn't even realize this, but but afterward, I realized. Uh, uh, we're expecting pastors to believe prayer is vitally important in the church, but they're never taught how to lead a prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. And largely, they don't know how. So how So how are you going to teach, how are you going to build an army of praying people if, if you don't know how to do that yourself? And so I think you have, I think you have a lot of disconnect on these kinds of issues between pastors who are largely trained to talk about theology. They're largely, they have been trained in the middle of consumer Christianity. They've been trained to appeal to consumers. The reality is the church is supposed to be an army. Right. And yeah, that's not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. It is biblically correct. And they're trained in an academic model, yes, not yeah. a ministry exactly. model. So can you pass the test? Did you read the books? Yes. Can you spit it back out? And that has nothing to do yes. with what Jesus taught his people. So, Pastor Steve, let me ask you this question, going back to the biblical worldview. I'm getting back on the trail here. Where did you get a biblical worldview? How did you obtain a biblical worldview? Well, I probably wasn't smart enough to not know that you didn't actually have to use the Bible. So I always figured that that was it. And uh, and for, for us, for Becky and me, from our beginning days, everything we did was built around the Word. Yeah. Everything. And so when the idea of a biblical worldview came along, it was a, it was a new term for me because I, I, in fact, I wanted to know do I actually have that? Because I wanted to make sure I did. And so, but today it is so critically important yeah. that pastors figure this out. It, it is absolutely fundamental that they do, because as you have said, George, you can't pass on what you don't have. And there's only, it's the only way I know of it. Our team, we're, I mean, we're intently focused on this at the Family Research Council, not just externally, but internally as well, because there's no way that we can face the challenges we face as a culture with hope and optimism without a biblical worldview. And, and that's part of the problem for the American people today. They're in a, a, a sense of despair and pessimism. They have no hope because they don't know truth. They don't know God. They don't know his promises. And with all of that, what do you turn to? The culture. Yeah. The culture has got nothing but entertainment. Right. And it's entertainment based on errant worldviews that just pile on that pessimism. So we've got a great gift that they need. Yes. And if they understood it, this that sounds great. How do I get that? But they're not hearing it. Well, but you've experienced this and other pastors that I know that preach from a biblical worldview, meaning that 
you know, it's not that you focus on these issues every Sunday, but it, you do focus on the Word of God and how it applies to our lives. These churches are growing. Pastors are timid about this, but if they just realized people are hungry, I personally, you tell me if I'm wrong, but what I'm seeing is I think our nation is at a turning point because everything that's been tried hasn't worked and people are looking, but someone has to stand up. I say someone, the church has to stand up and says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Yeah, so for that to be, the first group that has to stand up are the pastors, yes. the leaders, yes. the ones who are called to uh, step out ap- apostolically, and then, and I don't mean in sense of titles here, right. and then uh, to understand they have, they as a past, part of their pastoral calling is to have a prophetic voice mm-hmm. to the culture, right. first to the church, then to the culture. God-given authority. God-given authority right. and a word so that uh, when they when they are disseminating the word of God, they believe that word has power. God will anoint that word. It will, it, it will find seed in the hearts of people and a light will go on. So now there's revelation. Yeah. And that revelation is what changes people and gets them to action. It prompted a thought, something Dr. Falwell told me years ago. He was kind of a mentor of mine. He said, you know, too many pastors, the only time they spend in the scripture is preparing their sermons. Mm -hmm. They need to have personal devotional time because that's where the inspiration comes from. That's where the authority comes from when we're being, as Paul said, filled with the spirit. And, And I think I know there are a lot of demands on pastors. I've been a pastor. And, and, and if we're going to cut something, oftentimes it's that personal, private, quiet time. No, I, I, uh, so, you know, I've been doing this 53 years now. And, um, in my opinion, the strength of endurance are the ongoing times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Because if God, when God blows the breath of his spirit on you personally, on a congregation corporately, in a minute, he can renew you. Yes. And all of those things about the dust of the culture, uh, you, you you begin to, if, if the word is in you, you begin to believe. Yes. You can believe that, you know, God doesn't need the majority. Yeah. He, 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 he almost always has worked. In fact, I can't think of a time he worked with the majority. Yeah. It's always the m- minority. And so as a pastor leader, um, how I view my role is I'm, I'm building this army. And what I have to do is take a group of people who, who are thinking their, their natural thinking is, is, is a, is a worldly thinking. We all, we all have that naturally. And, and my place is to, is to exchange that thinking for, for a biblical thinking. So they become not consumers but they become owners of the vision. Yeah. And when they do that, they'll charge the mountain. And see, I would say that one of the reasons why you've been successful in doing that is because you are a called leader. And because of that, that's given you the strength, the courage to endure the persecution that somebody who does what you've been doing inevitably brings upon you. You, you can think, see that persecution. <laughs> I like the well, right, the whole, it's the whole <laughs> Originally, I thought it was the jacket, yeah. then I realized, no, 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 the culture got to you. We only have about a minute and a half left, George, and I, but I, I want to bring this in from a standpoint of we talk about leaders. And I don't want people to be mistaken thinking that only pastors are leaders. 
parents are leaders. Fathers are called to lead their homes. Mm -hmm. And we cannot say this often enough. A worldview is formed between the ages of, of 15 and 18 months and 13 years. It's got to come in the home. Yeah, I mean, the first place that we found children look for clues about how life works is to their parents because they know them, they trust them, they spend time with them. And where we're losing it is when they they listen to their parents, they hear something, they say, okay, maybe that's a clue. But then they watch their parents and they see something completely different. And the conclusion that kids are coming to is, huh, I guess my parents are as confused as I am. They must not have the answer. And that's why they turn to arts and entertainment media, because that's giving them a consistent set of clues about how to live. It's not biblical, but it's consistent. Pastors need to be proclaiming, preaching the word so that the parents will be living it out consistently in the eyes of their children and passing on to them what they've received from the church Pastor Steve, thanks for hosting us today, and thanks for joining me here. And George, always great to see you. So appreciate the work that you do, and uh, so thankful you're part of the FRC team. Team effort. I love it. Thanks. Well, we will not let go of this. I can assure you that. Well, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And I do want to encourage you to check out all of the resources we have available at TonyPerkins.com, as well as the Washington Stand, our online publication. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 